Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan and thank you for joining us once again, guys. Hi. This week's episode was suggested by one of our wonderful Patreon supporters, Luke Buckingham. Uh, Thank you for your patience, Luke. I know you suggested it a while ago, uh, but we are finally here. And on that note of Patreon, we would like to thank the following people who have signed up to support us in this way in the last week. Yes, a massive thank you to... Marilou S, Amanda's L, Sophie Mason and Tammy Bowden. So thank you so much. So we thought we'd take a couple of moments just to let you guys know a little bit more about Patreon because we always talk about it and we're always saying thank you to our Patreon supporters. So Patreon is a subscription model that allows you, our listener, to support us financially, ensuring the podcast is around for a long time, not just a good time, as Mark loves to say. I was going to say, get your own lines, Bethan. Starting from £1.95 a month, there is no minimum term. It takes two minutes to sign up and your support on Patreon makes a huge difference to us. We have so much going on over there. So we have monthly bonus episodes, which includes our recent deep dive into the life and crimes of Jimmy Savile. We will have loads of regular competitions. There's a book club that meets every couple of months. It's a lot of fun and it is a real community too because you can put comments and have chats with people on on the posts and stuff on Patreon as well. And over a 100 of you have signed up since the start of the year. And if you would like to join in on the fun, then you just need to head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. This week, we head to the small town of Fenton in the West Midlands county of Staffordshire as we cover the 2008 death of 54-year-old Glenn Hollinshead. Glenn's death sparked international media interest at the time and to this day the internet is rife with active forums debating a whole plethora of conspiracy theories surrounding his untimely demise. And it's not the way in which he was killed that has sparked such interest, nor the identity of his killer or himself, neither was well known at the time. It is the strange events leading up to his death that's had people scratching their heads. Events involving two very mysterious and peculiar women, Ursula and Sabina Erickson. So let's go back to the very beginning. Ursula and Sabina Erickson are identical twin sisters who were born in Sweden in 1967. They grew up with their mother and father and two older siblings in the small town of Sun, a settlement close to the country's border with Norway. By all accounts, their childhood was fairly normal. There was no known trauma, no history of mental illness. Theirs was a loving family, and the twins were said to be extremely close. Obsessively so, some might say. I am so excited for this episode because it's a case that fascinates me, and I didn't know that this was what you were going to cover. This is really exciting. I wondered if you'd um, heard of it at all. Yeah, so you I obviously have. have. Yeah, yeah, and... What a great suggestion. I can't remember the name of the person you said suggested it. Luke. Luke, thank you. Thank you, Luke, because what a great suggestion. Yeah, I don't. I mean, this was 2008. I really don't remember it at the time. I think it's only really since we've been doing the podcast that it's come to my attention. But I still, it was one of those that I didn't know the ins and outs of. So I, I was really looking forward to covering it because I wanted to take a proper deep dive into it and really understand what actually happened because it is without doubt one of the weirdest cases I think that we've ever covered and we've covered some weird shit over the years. 
So thousands of studies have been conducted into identical twins, into the bond they share, their DNA, their intelligence, their beliefs and values, and all have found that no two human beings can be as close as identical twins, not just genetically speaking, but in every other way too. Twins, um, I just wanted to kind of discuss... I'm not, I was going to call it a concept. Um, but what are your thoughts on twins, Bethan? Because we, the concept I don't know, I think of it, twins. Uh, the concept of <laughs> twins, the bizarre concept of twins. I think tw- twins freak me out. Identical twins freak me out. And particularly so when it comes to crime, true crime. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what your question is because. It's just when two people are born and share a... Like, I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't freak me out. I, Me and my sister well, wanted to be twins when we were little. So sometimes we dress the same, even though there's four years between us and we didn't look the same at all. But we'd, we'd pretend we were non-identical twins because we, we're similar enough. And we'd, we'd like, like try a and... like foot height difference. No, because I'm short, so it's fine. We were about oh, okay. the same height, yeah. <laughs> but... I don't know. Like I, I've always, I always thought it would be an amazing thing to have somebody, not only a sibling, because I have my my sisters, and that's an amazing bond or, enough. But someone you're even closer than that with. Um, no, I, I don't find it odd or weird or anything. I don't know. Like it's to me, it's the same as you saying, like, what do you think of the concept of women? <laughs> it's just that's just life. E- equally weird. Equally well, weird. To be fair, um, true equally weird um I don't know I think when it comes to things like crime I think I would love to try and take full advantage of being an identical twin and see if you could get away with a crime and then but I'd have to just practice on something a bit sneaky like just a chocolate bar from a supermarket and then just see if you could get away with it by saying like oh no I didn't and then would anybody know but I don't know I've not really heard of many cases where they've utilized the fact that they're twins to commit crime mm. anyway so I'm not sure I don't know I, d- I don't know it, it might just be one of those weird things but Why surely I can't out? with you I, d- I don't know just I just think it's really weird that you can have somebody that well two people that are identical I just think that's a really weird I'm gonna call it a concept I think it's a weird concept and I can't be the only one that thinks it so um please listener get in touch and tell me I'm not the only one the um, one, the one time that I do think it is really really interesting and crazy is when someone falls pregnant and then falls pregnant again like three weeks later. So the babies are twins, but not in the norm like the normal sense of how mm. you would normally have twins become babies. I don't know. Like that that amazes yeah. me. That amazes me. But nothing to do with true crime. <laughs> No, I just find it weird, weird, weird. Anyway, so identical twins have DNA that is 99.9% the same, but they have kind of like a different um, biting pattern. So their teeth might be quite different. And they also have different fingerprints as well, which um, I think is a common misconception in the true crime world when we look at identical twins, that they have the same fingerprints and therefore it's impossible to determine who the real culprit is if a crime's committed. So they do have different fingerprints prints but the dna is the same 
Twins' brain wave patterns are almost identical too, and twins actually start interacting with each other in the womb as early as 14 weeks. This is why I find the concept weird. In early childhood, they often develop their own language with each other, another weird thing, and when you add in the fact that their environments are the same, it really isn't extraordinary, I suppose, for identical twins to be obsessively close, or at least for those on the outside to perceive them in this way. So I suppose what I'm actually trying to get at is that Sabina and Ursula's obsessive closeness wasn't necessarily a precursor to the events that took place in 2008 although it was certainly a factor um, that facilitated it I would I would say. As is often the case with identical twins as Sabina and Ursula progressed into their 20s their lives took different paths. Ursula moved to the US while Sabina eventually settled in Ireland. The sisters kept in touch and settled into their respective lives in different corners of the world. Little is known of Ursula and Sabina in the years leading up to the tragic events of 2008. Perhaps because there is little to report, it might just be that they went about their lives and they were quite uneventful. From newspaper reports, we do know that Sabina started a relationship with a man and went on to have two children. However, Ursula's life is more of a mystery. What we do know is that on Friday the 16th of May in 2008, Ursula arrived from the US to visit her sister in Ireland. It's really not clear what happened on the day of her arrival, but it seems some kind of argument ensued between the sisters and Sabina's husband, and they left Sabina's house that night to travel by ferry to Liverpool, arriving at 8.30 the next morning. So this is Sabina and Ursula. Upon their arrival in Liverpool, the two women visited a police station to report that Sabina's two children had been kidnapped by her partner. Now, again, this is all about as clear as mud, but it seems as though police treated this as a domestic incident, which I think it actually was. It seems likely that Sabina was grossly exaggerating what had actually happened, and consequently the police didn't take any action. So I think they must have been satisfied that it wasn't really a kidnapping and I think my kind of understanding or take on this was that maybe Sabina had tried to take her two children with her and her partner had said no they're staying here with me yeah Um, that sounds about right but if if it was a a true case that he's not allowing them out of the house and you feel that they've been in a word kidnapped you would be calling the police before setting off on a ferry. You would, you'd be calling the police from outside the home saying, you need to come and help me get back into my house to get my children. So it does sound like an exaggerated sort of story of what's actually happened. And it's really mad, isn't it? That they've got, you know, they've got to England and then it's, oh, now we're going to report this. It is, yeah. And I, I think it actually gives a bit of a glimpse into the minds of Sabina and Ursula at this point. So I think it's a... An interesting glimpse into what happens a bit later on. In Liverpool, the girls boarded a National Express coach bound for London. It's not clear why they were in England or why they were trying to get to London, but they wouldn't actually make it to the capital that day. Their journey would only take them as far as Keel Services on the M6, about 60 miles south of Liverpool. As the girls queued to board the coach in Liverpool that morning, they refused to put their bags in the hold. The driver eyed them suspiciously. Their bags were fairly large and both girls were clutching them close to their chests. They clearly didn't want to let them out of their sight and the driver wasn't happy about this, but with a coachload of passengers and a schedule to stick to, there wasn't really a lot he could do. 
He let them on board, bags in hand, and they all set off for London down the M6. Again, it's not clear what happened in the hour between the coach departing Liverpool and pulling into Kiel services, but this wasn't a scheduled stop. Reports suggest the driver stopped here to confront Ursula and Sabina about their behaviour on board. And I don't know what they'd been doing, maybe nothing. It could just be that the driver had had an hour to reflect on their initial behaviour when they boarded the coach and he thought now was a good time to confront it. Maybe he'd got a bit worried um, for his safety and the safety of his passengers. I don't know. Um, so yeah, maybe he did think that they posed a danger. Either way, the driver pulled into Keel services and asked the women to show him what was in their bags. They refused, and from what we'll go on to hear later, I imagine they were fairly aggressive towards him too, but the long and short of it is that they were asked to disembark, and they did eventually agree to to disembark. Before setting off again, the driver spoke to the retail manager at Keel Services, and he advised her to keep an eye on the two women, explaining that they had been acting suspiciously. So I kind of love how he just kind of dumps them at Keel. And I can't get over that. He's just like, get off the be- um, off my back. It's like, get off, not my problem, and just tells the manager, right, your problem now. However, um, this is two women in their 40s who've been annoying you, so... Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. What what really are you going to do? You have the right, I guess, to say you're not getting any further on my coach because for whatever reason he's confronted them, he's either, they've either behaved strangely on the coach or or at least he was kind of like, I've told you to put your bags in the hold and you still won't put them in the hold. Because it annoys me that you have to put your bags in the hold when you go on a coach trip. Because what if at the next stop someone takes your bag? I I, hate I don't that get off thought, the coach yeah. every time. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely I mean really it's annoys sli- me. It's slightly different on a train because you can probably see your bag from your seats mm-hmm. if you've put it in the kind of um Yeah, I always sit thing, facing but- where I put it. Yeah. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. If ever I've got a coach, um, it, I always just have that moment of anxiety when it stops at a particular coach station. And uh, yeah, people, some people are getting off and some people are getting on. I just think my poor bag is there just waiting to be pillaged. Um, but it's not happened so far. So No, and touch wood the same for myself. It's never yeah. happened and I don't know anyone it's happened to. And everyone's in the same boat, in the same coach. But like everybody's in that same situation where your bags are also at the mercy of someone else Mm. i just don't like it not a fan i wonder if we could get ahead of that anxiety by next time we get on a coach and we get off we could take someone else's bags as long as as well as our own with us (laughs) and then we get the upper hand wonderful tripped idea should we just take a coach trip for no reason other than taking people's bags Yep, done. Okay. Um, so anyway, this uh, manager at Keel Services, uh, after speaking with the coach driver, she obliged and she found uh, Ursula and Sabina wandering around the car park, still carrying their bags very close to their chests. And she later remarked that the pair looked as though they were plotting something. They were talking to each other in hushed tones and everything about them looked suspicious. The manageress, I hate saying that word, why did I even say that? The manager was concerned uh, that they might have had a bomb in their bags and when they clocked her looking at them, um, they rushed to the back of the services and not wanting to take any risks now, the manager actually called the police, which I think was the right thing to do. Officers soon arrived and spoke to the sisters who told them that there'd been a misunderstanding with the coach driver and that they were now planning on making their own way to London. 
The police officers gave the women details of a coach company that was due to stop at Keel Services later that day, which would be able to take them on to London. Satisfied that the pair had actually done nothing illegal, the officers left. So that's the end of that. Well, not quite. A short while later, the Highways Agency Control Centre in nearby Birmingham picks up two women on CCTV walking down the central reservation of the M6, adjacent to Keel Services. This is the bit that like really freaks me out because that is just, I don't even like it when you're kind of like crossing over the motorway and you're on the bridge, you can feel how fast everything is. That must have felt so intimidating and fast, having the cars rushing past you walking down the middle. Yeah, it's um there's like there's a weird sort of energy isn't there with motorways that you don't get replicated on a dual carriageway or any other road or in any other walk of life. It's just a really weird energy. It's a very dangerous place obviously and I I just thought I don't know for anybody who's listening outside of the UK maybe I should just explain in a little bit more detail. Um, So the M6 is one of the busiest motorways in the country. It's actually the longest stretch of motorway in this country. And it's used by hundreds of thousands of vehicles every day. As we said, it is a hugely dangerous place to be. And in this country, and I'm sure it's the same in most countries, you just do not see people out of their vehicles walking across a motorway or walking down a central reservation. That would have been a sight to behold. Even when um, it's stationary and you know that the motorway up ahead's closed for an accident and people are literally stationary, if somebody gets out of their car and goes to their boot, everybody's like, oh, what are you yeah. doing? That is We're not so even going to start moving, but British people just get really shocked by anybody getting yeah. out of their car on the motorway. And you might need to go into the boot and get yourself a bottle of water or something because you know you're going to be sat there for like another six hours because typical, isn't it? That yeah. The motorway will get shut and stuff. But even when you're at a standstill, that is a shock to see somebody not inside their car. I can't imagine driving and, and seeing that. No, it's just a weird, I'm not going to say concept again, but it is weird. You just don't see it here. And I think most countries it would be the same, really, because it's just such a dangerous place. Um, and the central reservation is actually, if you think about it, it's sandwiched by the two fastest flowing lanes on a motorway. So you've got lane three of either dual, of either carriageway um, directly next to you so you've got cars going in opposite directions either side of you and they're both on lane three so that's a fastest um, lane in the motorway so consequently it didn't take long for the traffic control agents to spot this peculiar site on cctv and dispatch a highways agency patrol vehicle to the scene Before the traffic officers can get there, however, both women attempt to cross the motorway, but Sabina is clipped by a car travelling at 70 miles an hour. When the traffic officers arrive, both women have made it to the hard shoulder, and although slightly injured, Sabina is largely unscathed. That is lucky that the car that clipped her didn't then come out of control some way, shape or form, because if you're driving that car and then you hit someone, you're going to be in shock yourself as well, that someone's just run past your car like it's incredible that that car then didn't crash into the central reservation barriers or something that's really mad and like just to be clipped by it that's serious i think your maybe instinctive reaction as a driver that that's happened to would be to then immediately look back 
look in your mirror for a prolonged period of time to to sort of see have I actually run that person over? Are they on the floor? Um, have I killed them? Um, or are they standing? So so yeah, it would have been so easy for them to uh, sort of almost like lose balance, metaphorically speaking, and then crash their car which as we know on a motorway if that happens there's quite often a significant pile up and yeah the, this could have just that alone could have caused untold um, accident and damage and injury so a short while later two police officers arrive on the scene to see the two women just standing there on the hard shoulder chatting to one of the traffic officers the two police officers go over to speak to the other traffic officer who is standing a short distance away The whole time, traffic is thundering past at up to 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. Now, in a bizarre twist, the whole incident from this point onwards is captured on camera as it just so happens that a BBC film crew working for the show Motorway Cops is following the police officers that day. All of a sudden, without warning, Ursula runs into the traffic and is hit by an articulated lorry. She is dragged under its wheels, and this is all captured on camera. Reeling from what they've just seen, they don't notice as Sabina lurches forward before running into the motorway just seconds after her sister. She is hit by a car and thrown into the air like a rag doll before landing awkwardly on the hard concrete. Approaching cars screech to a halt and manage to stop in time, avoiding Sabina and Ursula who are now both lying motionless in the road. There is a massive dent on the front of the car that has smashed into Sabina. Its windscreen is completely smashed and the driver of the articulated lorry which has hit Ursula is stood next to his vehicle in total shock. And we know all of this because it's all captured on camera. You can go on YouTube and you can see the whole lot unfold in real time. And when I said that Ursula was hit by the articulated lorry and she's kind of dragged under its wheels it literally runs her legs over the wheels of its trailer run her legs over multiple times because there's so many wheels it's just absolutely shocking like and something that really gets me is that people are then able to slam on their brakes and stop and then and then manage to stop before they also run them over as well yeah Um, that's incredible that people were able to react that quickly and that side of things but God, that to be one of the two, you know, the articulated lorry driver or the car driver, I mean, that is just going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's that is really traumatic. And you you can see the lorry driver. And I mean, weirdly, well, he gets out of his cab and he, he stands on the hard shoulder and then the camera crew start interviewing him. And I suppose he's just in such shock because you'd like to think if that was me that I'd just be like, um, fuck off. I'm not doing an interview. I'm like, I'm traumatized. But I think he's so traumatized that he doesn't really know what he's doing. And, and he probably can't even quite comprehend why there's a camera crew. Well, there yeah, because you'd also be him. thinking, is that the police officer asking me something? Yeah. Or who's yeah. talking to me? So he just kind of says like he just she just came out of nowhere and and yeah he's like absolutely in shock it's horrible to see it really is So with the traffic now stopped one of the officers races towards Ursula it is obvious that she has severe leg injuries the officer would later remark that it appeared as though her legs had exploded they are weirdly small and flat and bones are sticking out all over the place As the officer tries to comfort her, she stares at him and says, I recognise you, I know you're not real. 
She starts screaming for the police and the officer reassures her that he is the police, but she spits in his face and calls him a fucking asshole. He tries to administer first aid, but she claws at him like a rabid dog. While all this is happening, the other officer has Sabina under control, but then all of a sudden, she tries to get up. Despite her injuries, she runs off and punches the approaching police officer in the face. She then runs into the other carriageway. Miraculously, traffic manages to stop in time and she isn't hit. Both police officers now run after her, but she is trying to fight them. Several members of the public get out of their vehicles and assist the police in restraining Sabina. She is like a wild animal. They talk amongst themselves trying to rationalise this bizarre situation. Have the women sustained serious head injuries which are making them act in this way? Or are they high on drugs? As Sabina continues to resist attempts to restrain her, she screams fuck you repeatedly. Doctors inject her with a sedative at the side of the motorway. Finally, she is quiet and passive. She's handcuffed and loaded into a waiting ambulance. And I have to say at this point, I don't know if this is just me, but I kind of got the feeling that the police officers just wanted to fucking bitch slap her into submission, which I would have totally understood. But obviously they couldn't do that because there's a crack camera crew there. Um, but I honestly did. I just felt their frustration so much that I, f- I felt, and I'm sure they wouldn't have, but if the camera crew wasn't there, I feel like they just wanted to fucking slap her and knock her out because she was so annoying and dangerous and, yeah, just like a rabid wild animal. It is absolutely crazy because you've just been hit by a car and these people are trying to help you and you're, and as the police officers, you're trying to help somebody but they're then putting you into such danger because you're then having to run out onto a motorway as well and get slapped and fought and spat at and yelled at and abused. Yeah, I can imagine they just want to be like, oh, for God's sake, just give them a shake or something. Like, yeah. Oh, no, I totally get it. Um, Good, I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't just like, me. I get that they, you know, the doctors then sedate her. You'd be like, well, she is that even going to work? Because she got hit by a car and she got back up, so... Are you sure you've given her enough sedation? I just, it's really, really, really bizarre. And so it's Ursula whose legs are completely crushed from the articulated yeah. lorry, isn't it? So I wanted to double check that because then I was like, hang on, how is she walking on those, ho- mm. like your description of the flat Or It's really, yeah. really disturbing. But but even just hitting a, win- a windshield at 70 miles an hour or, or however fast this car was going, I mean... To then be up and running. Do you know what? Thinking about it now, I feel like... um, So Ursula has gone into the road. She's got run over by the articulated lorry. And I think the traffic had already started to slow at that point from what I I recall. It it would have done, but even still, it would be fast. It wouldn't be 10 miles an hour. Yeah, they'd be going at like 40, 50 miles an hour. And um, Sabina is literally twatted off this fucking windscreen of this Volkswagen Polo. Oh, that sounds like the the most... um, the best descriptive word that you've ever used there much she is fucking twatted <laughs> off it and she flies up into the air she somersaults into the air and the dent and then lands on the hard concrete surface but the dent on the mm. volkswagen polo is shocking it's like a humongous dent and the windscreen's all smashed as well and you think a human being has caused that damage um so yeah she you know despite her being crazy and running around she she has sustained must have sustained quite serious injuries 
Um, but we'll go on to that because actually, she it, hasn't. You? Yeah, you'd yeah, expect, you would expect that she would have done. That is really, really mad. And yeah, I do feel so bad for the police who are just trying to, like you said, they just want to be like, just can you just stop? We're here yeah, to just try stop, and help. Stop being swat. Running We're into to cars, help. traffic. And I, the other thing I thought is that as a police officer, or probably just any member of the public, if you see somebody running into harm's way, your natural instinct, so without consciously thinking, is to run after them and grab them. And when you talk about the police putting themselves in harm's way as a result of these girls' actions, you know, absolutely, totally agree with that because you can almost see the female police officer goes to kind of run after Sabina as she goes into the other carriageway and has to kind of realise, no, I can't run after her because I'm going to get one of us or both of us is going to get hit. So she then starts to just automatically try and slow the traffic with those kind of arm signals that they use. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's just a mad thing to watch. You've all got to go on YouTube and watch this unfold. I've it's, never um, seen it's really the graphic. actual video, but I've seen screen grabs and they're even enough for me. So yeah, oh my yeah. God. I can't believe as well that the videos are still available to watch as just uh, like just there in public domain. That's yeah. incredible. Because it is, it's quite something to see somebody run over by an articulated lorry and someone hit by a car and fly up into the air. That is quite, it's quite horrible to see that, quite shocking. And yeah, it's, it's there on YouTube. Um, so yeah, anyway, so Sabina is sedated and loaded into the ambulance and Ursula is also a bit calmer now. The injuries that she sustained are much more serious and she's loaded into a waiting air ambulance. Both sisters are now taken to Stoke-on-Trent Hospital. Ursula is operated on and will remain in hospital for the next three months while she recovers. Sabina is checked over but unbelievably she's actually fine. She has a few cuts and bruises of course but she has sustained no serious harm and she's released into police custody just five hours after being hit by that car. Can you believe that? That is ridiculous. That is absolutely mad. It's honestly... I can't get over that. It is ridiculous, yeah. So police book her for motorway trespass. I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it is. I'm glad it is. Well, I think that's why in this country it freaks us out when we see people wandering around a motorway, not because we're in fear for their lives, but we think that's illegal and you're oh my breaking God, maybe. the law. And we don't realise that. that that's what our minds are thinking, because like, I, yeah. I didn't know that it was technically illegal, but that must be one of the reasons that I'm like, whoa, you're not allowed to do that. I think we're so law-abiding in this country that it's that's probably more shocking than uh, seeing somebody in, in such danger. But uh, So as I said, the police book her for motorway trespass and for assaulting a police officer, and she's remanded in custody until the Monday, so this is the Saturday, she's remanded in custody until the Monday when she will be put before a magistrate. Meanwhile, police go through the sisters' possessions and discover a number of mobile phones, a laptop and a passport. They ascertain that the women are twins, that they're originally from Sweden, and when they make contact with Sabina's partner in Ireland, he has no idea why she's in England or why she's been acting so strangely. A blood sample is taken from Ursula at the hospital and she is not on drugs or under the influence of alcohol, so I think it's safe to assume that the same can be said for Sabina. Neither woman has a history of mental illness and to compound the mystery further, Sabina answers no comment to every question put to her at the police station. However, this is not the end. Whilst in custody, Sabina makes a prophetic statement when she says, 
We say in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually at least one more follows, maybe two. All of this is being filmed by the motorway cops camera crew, by the way, and Sabina looks calm but almost demented at the same time as she says this. So Monday rolls around and Sabina pleads guilty to motorway trespass and to assaulting a police officer at Fenton Magistrates Court and she's sentenced to one day in custody, which she's already served and she's consequently released that day, which I'm just like, I cannot get my head around that. She has caused merry hell on the M6, put multiple motorists lives in danger she's punched a police officer a female police officer in the face and she she is literally let off basically isn't she because she's served one day already i just do not understand that do you i just don't get it like no psychiatric evaluation to kind of work out what the hell was going on in her mind at that moment if you're able to work that out understanding some of the reasons behind it is it's just odd to kind of go, you did it, yep, cool, off you go. Like, it's it's just so bizarre. I feel like even, not necessarily from like a punishment side of things, these two women need some help. Like, they need Absolutely, some sort of yeah. help and support because they are clearly ill in some way. Just saying, well, you need to do a day in prison, but you've already done a couple, so off you trot. That's just, to me, screams just incompetence, really. In, in like yeah. the basic, if not anything more, you know, more conspiracy theorist. But it just seems weird and odd. And I I just think like that, if that was my sister who'd behaved like that, I would be calling for her to be sectioned until they found out why did she run yeah. in front of traffic? <laughs> what? What was in her bag? Like, tell me what was in the bags. Tell me what were they doing on the coach? I want to know more about what happened that day. Yeah. And I need to know how can we help them to not, go back to Ireland or Sweden or wherever they go and then do this again. Yeah. Um, And we will go on to see what happens when you release somebody um, with no full psychiatric evaluation um, and no further support. We'll go on to see what happens in in the next day uh, when, when you do that. Because, yeah, this is appalling. I just think assaulting a police officer as well, you would have thought that would go to Crown Court, but it doesn't. So there's no Crown Court, no proper prison sentence. As you said, Bethan, there's no full psychiatric evaluation. There's no help offered. They must know that she's in a foreign country and they just kind of abandon her. And I think this is where where my issue lies. And I do understand why the conspiracy theorists are out in force on this one. Uh, More on that later. So Sabina is released from court, a free woman, and she hangs around in Fenton. It's a lovely summer's day. She's got her possessions back from the police and she's carrying them around in a see-through plastic bag, just kind of roaming the streets thinking what to do next. She's in a foreign country, as I said. Her sister is critically ill in hospital and she's just had this crazy experience and has now been abandoned by the authorities. She plans on looking for a B&B and then she sees two men on the opposite side of the road out walking a dog. She remarks that they have a lovely looking dog and then crosses the road to stroke it. The three strike up a conversation and in just 24 hours time, one of them will be dead. The two men are 54-year-old Glenn Hollinshead, a self-employed welder, qualified paramedic and former RAF airman. The other man is his friend and long-time drinking buddy Peter Malloy. 
The two men are on their way back from the pub, heading towards Glenn's house on nearby Duke Street when they encounter Sabina. During their initial conversation, it soon becomes apparent that Sabina isn't quite right. She is clearly distressed, saying that her sister is in hospital and that she needs to find her. Sabina tells the men she's looking for a B&B, but Glenn tells her that she won't find anywhere around here. So he invites her back to his house, telling her that he'll cook her some dinner and try and locate her sister before finding her somewhere to stay. Glenn's friend Peter joins them and the trio have a few drinks over the course of the evening. Glenn appears relaxed in this woman's company, but Peter is wary of her. She's saying some weird stuff and at one point after offering them each a cigarette, she grabs them out of their mouths muttering to herself that they might be poisonous. Peter tries to find out more about this mystery woman and asks her what's happened to her sister. But whenever he questions Sabina, she becomes defensive and cold. By now, she's pulling the curtains closed and constantly peeking through them into the street. She is acting extremely paranoid and Peter's had enough. He asks Glenn what he thinks and as they pour some more drinks in the kitchen, Glenn dismisses her behaviour as quirky. He appears relaxed and comfortable and so Peter decides to leave. The next day, Glenn attempts to locate Sabina's sister but without much success. Sabina is still at his house taking advantage of his hospitality. I just find this whole thing so, so strange, Mark. I just, like, why has he invited her? Yeah. Like, why have these two guys taken her back to their house unless... Like, I just don't get it. I just can't think of a reason. Yeah. She's not, it's not like she's like sexually propositioned them or anything like that. That's odd. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that for definite, but like, surely that would have been mentioned if, you know, it was like a bit of a reason as to why they took her back. And then she's doing all these strange things. And then Peter's like, cheerio, I'm going home. Like... Would you not ring the police and say, I've got somebody who appears... Like, this guy's a paramedic, so I feel like he should be ringing the police and saying, I've got someone who appears to be incredibly vulnerable. Mm. Can you help me to locate her? It's just really, really weird. I think the only thing I would say is Peter and Glenn have been drinking, so they've, they've had a few pints down the pub, so their inhibitions are a bit lower. They might not be thinking as clearly... Peter definitely gets that this is a weird situation and that she's not to be trusted and I think he just wants to get himself out of there but he doesn't want to leave Glenn vulnerable to her so he kind of has this clandestine chat with Pete with Glenn in the kitchen and he's like what do you think like is she a bit weird I'm a bit worried I want to go but I don't want to leave you with her and Glenn's like she's fine like Glenn's got a totally different take on this he's like she's fine don't worry she's just a bit weird just a bit quirky so I think Peter does feel comfortable leaving Glenn I don't think he did anything wrong there however I am with you Bethan I was incredibly suspicious of their motives for taking her back to Glenn's house and I thought immediately I thought that this was a sexual motive here yeah. No, but I I totally agree. I just I don't get it. Maybe it's because as a woman, if me and a female friend found a random man acting strangely, we would not take him back to our house. And as a woman, I think you have a different kind of view of of danger and that mm. sort of thing. So you wouldn't invite a stranger into your home because what if like my thoughts would be while I'm asleep, they're going to strangle me. While I'm asleep, they're going to try and rape me. While I'm asleep, they're going to stab me. Like, that would be my kind of thought pattern. So 
Yeah. Maybe it's very, very different for a man and, and perhaps you can, but you do also find it weird that they've invited her back. But maybe they did kind of go, well, there's two of us, one of her, she can't be that dangerous. And I, Maybe, yeah. Maybe I, they did I don't think know. they could take advantage a little. I don't want to cast that sort of like no. doubt onto their character, but potentially that was maybe what they were thinking. They were like, well, she seems, she's come over to chat to us, so maybe she's going to be yeah. a bit more up for something. I don't know, but... We'll cook you dinner. It's lovely. That's very nice. Take her to a nearby hospital and ask them to help her. Take her to mm. a police station. It, I, th- it's I think it's to- just I think weird. It, it is. I think it's totally fair that we've had this conversation and we've talked about their motives. What I will say now is that Glenn was known or said by friends uh, to be helpful, caring and generous. And don't forget, he's a trained paramedic. So caring is probably just in his nature. And I do know that there was no, um, basically subsequent investigations would go on to show that, that none of those people had sex, basically. Mm. Um, so whether that was a motive or not, um yeah, it, and it, it doesn't sound that way because of the fact that they're saying about having dinner and we'll look after you, we'll help you. That It doesn't sound that way. And that's why I was kind of like, maybe it was part of the, but it doesn't see, it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like they're just trying to do something nice. And that's lovely. <laughs> I, maybe I'm just too cynical. But No, that's it. I think, I think that's the, the issue is that they probably were just trying to do something nice, but we in society now would just automatically jump to a conclusion that they had an ulterior motive for that. So I think we have to accept that they didn't and that Glenn in particular just really wanted to help her and this woman was in distress and he didn't want to leave her on the street i think it was around nine o'clock when they bumped into her i've seen some reports say it was seven but others say that it was nine so it could have been fairly late starting to get a bit darker and they just thought we can't leave this woman in distress let's take her in give her some dinner she can stay at mine and then we'll sort her out tomorrow if you look at it in black and white it's a lovely thing to do but in the day and age that we live i think it's um yeah it's natural for us to jump to some conclusions but perhaps a little unfair in this case so um it's now tuesday evening sabina has been at glenn's house for a full 24 hours He's in the kitchen making dinner and he asks Sabina if she would like a cup of tea. She accepts, but when Glenn notices that he's out of tea bags, rather than race to the shops, he decides to ask a neighbour to borrow some. Glenn heads out through his back door and spots a neighbour washing his car. He asks for some tea bags and the neighbour tells him that he'll grab some in a minute. So Glenn heads back into the house, but 70 seconds later he's back outside this time staggering towards that same neighbour, clutching at his chest. Glenn mouths, I've been stabbed. The neighbour is in complete shock and rushes to his aid. He sees blood pumping out of Glenn's chest and immediately calls an ambulance. Glenn says, I'm dying, repeatedly, and then clutches his neighbour and begs him to look after his dog. Glenn grasps for breath and slips away. It's too late, he's gone. The bit about his dog makes me so sad. I really I hope know. that the neighbour did take the dog in. And It's the sort of thing I'd make up for, for storytelling purposes, but it's actually true. I wouldn't have made that up. But yeah, it's heartbreaking, That is crazy, isn't it? just within a, a couple of minutes of, do you want yeah. a tea? Yes, go get some tea bags, and then suddenly you're dead. Like, that is yeah. 
really shocking. That is so So cast. sudden and, and so sad that in his dying moment, it's his dog that he thinks about who's going to look after mm, my dog. Yeah. And I think that really does say a lot about Glenn. He, he was a caring guy, a guy that was loved by his siblings, by his friends, and was just out to do good. We have to totally accept that. And I this feel is so how he was sorry repaid. for him. He's just tried to help somebody. Yeah. And that yeah he's there like making her a cup of tea at one point like that's the thing like he's just he's just making her a cuppa that's nice yeah bitch yeah. meanwhile sabina has fled the house and is carrying a lump hammer a passing motorist sees her hitting herself on the head with this hammer and blood is literally pouring out of the wound this passing motorist gets out of his car and grabs the hammer to take it off her she grunts and lets out a primitive scream as he wrestles with her. That is so mad because that's exactly what you were saying earlier about if you see something happening, you potentially might put yourself in some danger and just try and rush out to grab somebody or pull them away or something. This passing yeah. motorist is literally trying to stop her from doing that. That's incredible. I mean, he he might have thought, obviously, she, she's definitely a danger to herself. He can see that. But he might be thinking that she's potentially a danger to other people. And I think kudos to him for jumping out of his car and wrestling her to the floor and grabbing the hammer off her so that one she doesn't continue to damage herself but two that she doesn't go into the town and and start attacking people so um so i think it's great what he did but yeah that must have been quite an instinctive reaction for him but he was repaid unfortunately by uh, receiving a blow to the head from a roof tile that sabina had been concealing in her pocket um so he's kind of left incapacitated on the ground and she basically runs off uh, before finding herself on top of a bridge 40 feet above the a50 which I just think, what is it with this woman and moving traffic? She's oh desperate God, to get back awful. onto a busy road. Yeah. Yeah. So Sabina is stood on this bridge. She looks below her at the moving traffic for a moment and then jumps. She is discovered by paramedics. I think they were already in pursuit of her. So someone must have called an ambulance. Um so yeah, they, they find her and she's taken to hospital and treated for two broken ankles and a fractured skull. So she's not as lucky this time, but she miraculously has managed to survive this 40 foot fall. Um, and not How? just that, but yeah, oh my God. not just that, she's managed to avoid being hit by the oncoming traffic. So that is, oh, and it again, is a miracle. Again, it's these drivers that are going to see this person falling and coming down or potentially having to swerve around her or, yeah. you know, that's... Again, she's just affecting more and more people with her actions. It's not like yeah. she's just hit, hit herself. Like, this is crazy. And yet, how is she surviving all of these things? Honestly, she's like Rasputin. They just tried to kill she him, is. like, with all these different methods. And he just keeps running off, um, oh like, God. unscathed. She is Rasputin. She looks a bit what like What a wonderful him, little reference, by the way, Mark. We don't reference him enough. Russia's greatest love machine, do we? This is very... Uh, I think we should mention him more. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll uh, take a deep dive into Russian history next week. Um, 
I just wanted to say at this point as well, am I the only one that if you're travelling down the motorway or a busy road and it's got a bridge going overhead uh, so you can get from like one field to the next or whatever and if I see somebody on that bridge looking down at the traffic, which I think is kind of a natural thing to do if you're walking across the bridge, it's quite a weird thing to see so maybe you take a moment to stop and look. But if I see someone there, I think, oh my God, they're going to jump. That That's what they're doing. They're thinking mm. about jumping. Is I'm that just me? I'm similar to you, but I think they're going to chuck a brick at someone's windscreen. Oh, that's But I'm even... similar to you. I'm always that's really shocking. suspicious. If someone's on a bridge, yeah, if someone's on a bridge, I'm suspicious of them. I love how and I immediately... And isn't that really mean? Yeah, that's totally mean. I immediately go to like a caring uh, thing and I'm like, oh God, like are they going to potentially kill themselves? And you're like, they're going to fucking throw a brick through someone's windscreen. Either it, is No, but it possible. does freak me out though because you hear people of do kids, that. don't you? Like teenagers yeah. or like young people just stand in there and they think it's funny and they don't realise that like just a plastic bottle hitting your windscreen if you're doing 70 is going to completely mess your car up I was gonna I was gonna say it's gonna fuck you up but then I was like that's a very mark thing to say you can say it you can have that I've one. said it now I've said it you fucking said it so we're gonna um, get complaints about how much swearing there is in this episode mark I know I know um at least I haven't said c- yet so if you you need to remember to bleep that out when you put I'll, that, I'll try and <laughs> when remember, you edit yeah. to this episode yeah <laughs> my grandma listens to this Sorry, Bethan's granny. Um, Anyway, let's carry on. So Sabina would go on to spend nearly three months in hospital herself, recovering from her injuries. And she was actually released around the same time as Ursula. But the two didn't see each other. Upon Sabina's release, she was charged with the murder of Glenn Hollinshead. A short while later, Ursula was relocated to Sweden, possibly to stay with family while she continued to recuperate. But she subsequently made her way back to her adopted home of America. During extensive police interviews, Sabina answered no comment to everything. She was held on remand while she awaited trial, which was set for 2010, and the CPS ultimately rescinded the murder charge against her and proceeded with a single count of manslaughter. She admitted the charge and therefore avoided a trial, and the judge overseeing her sentencing said it had been one of the most difficult cases that he had ever presided over. Before a sentence could be passed, Sabina had to be assessed by two psychiatrists, one for the defence and one for the prosecution. Both agreed that she had been mentally ill at the time of Glenn's killing, but their diagnoses differed somewhat. The psychiatrist working for the defence diagnosed Sabina with induced delusional disorder, commonly referred to as folie de, which literally translates to madness by two. So, folie de is essentially a shared psychotic episode in which symptoms of a delusional belief and sometimes hallucinations are transmitted from one individual to another. So, what they are saying here is that Ursula was the one probably having a psychotic episode and Sabina kind of caught it from her, which is just such a strange concept, isn't it? Even stranger than the concept of identical twins. (laughs) Do you know what? I will agree with you on that is... That is a concept I cannot get my head around. No, so weird that they will actually share hallucinations. But then equally, we are all just matter and Ooh, if you, you want to go deep, deep yeah, like someone's got really, deep. what is reality? So oh, fucking perhaps, hell, Beth, and it's Sunday morning. You've done this to me. Right. Should we, should we just like take some hallucinogenics and just see what shared experiences we can have? 
I'm too I'm too much of a pussy to take those. You really are, aren't you? I'm, you know I'm a pussy. I could never do that. Um, but that is really incredible. So, oh, massively. So the the delusional belief and the the hallucinations were being felt by Ursula. Almost and she was in the middle of like a psychotic episode, and then telepathically, Sabina kind of was feeling the effects as well. Yeah, and seeing what she's seeing. Okay, well, so that's an interesting diagnosis from them and it's a real thing it's extremely rare but it is a thing and experts have said that identical twins often have a very close relationship so there is an easier blurring of the boundary of who is who so of course um it's probably more likely to happen between identical twins than two random people i wonder if it's a bit like when um men have like phantom pregnancy pains yeah or i guess so yeah on weight during a pregnancy and stuff maybe yeah it could be maybe it's because you're so close with that person you become you begin to kind of take on some of the elements of them at the time especially if it's something that gives your brain or your body a heightened state mm. again i'm going very deep and it's going to sound really weird but potentially your energy then is so um like vib- the vibrations are so much more Whoa, that got beth and i didn't know you were so spiritual wow this is revelatory <laughs> I, I think i shouldn't eat like easter egg chocolate for breakfast no. anymore should i no, it sounds like you you're having like a cheese nightmare <laughs> a cheese induced nightmare <laughs> you've given this cheese infused nightmare to me though so it's your fault so you know what that means we're having a folly of duh right now um Anyway, so the psychiatrist working for the prosecution diagnosed Sabina with acute polymorphic psychotic disorder. Uh, And that's a transient psychotic illness where the person very abruptly becomes ill and then very quickly gets better again. So although that sounds like a cop out to me, that does not sound like they've actually looked into what it properly was. Yeah, I I think she was ill and now she's not. It's quite general. I mean, that. Yeah, that's you could almost say elements of bipolar are are like that because you could have this burst of um, a a very depressive episode or a manic episode and then it will go. Um, So, yeah, I I think that is a bit of a cop out. I think you're right now that you've said that. I didn't really realise that at the time. Yeah, I find that very odd that they'd go... She was ill. Yeah. And now she got and very quickly back. And it's like, no and shit. It's like, okay, but why? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell us more. Yeah, what exactly was wrong with her? So I suppose they're sort of saying because it's acute polymorphic psychotic disorder, they're saying that it was some kind of psychotic episode, but it is quite general, isn't it? So um, so that's frustrating. Maybe it was folia duh instead, and it was a, a real psychotic episode being experienced by Ursula, and then Sabina kind of bought into that and caught it herself. Um, So although the prosecution and the defence disagreed on the specific diagnosis, both of them agreed that she was definitely having some kind of psychotic episode. I think it's safe to say that. But yeah, I I would like... Absolutely. I would like more detail. The whole cigarettes poisoned. Yeah. The paranoia. Not recognising the police are the police and the paranoia. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It's such a shame that we don't get to know Mm. any more about what was going on at that point. But then how how would we, I guess? Yeah, and I think the prosecution was saying that it was this um, acute polymorphic psychotic disorder because um, when it came to trial, uh, Sabina was fine. She was absolutely not mentally ill at that point. So so maybe it kind of worked that way that she was having this major mental illness episode and now she's fine and that's why she's fine now and that's quite interesting factor that we'll come on to in just a moment as we um as we wrap things up 
So interestingly, neither psychiatrist assessed Ursula. They just relied on her hospital notes. And of course, because Sabina answered no comment throughout her interviews, we'll probably never know the truth. Like you said, Beth, in a moment ago, I don't think we're ever going to get to the bottom of it, really. Um, As I said, at the time of going to court, Sabina was no longer mentally ill and therefore she couldn't be sent to a secure hospital, which would normally be what you would do in this kind of circumstance. Um, And also she couldn't be sentenced to an indeterminate sentence um, because she wasn't deemed to be a risk to the public. So quite often a judge will sentence an individual to an indeterminate sentence um because they're they're mentally ill and and it will be dependent on their recovery of that illness before they get out but they couldn't even do that and it just gives the authorities a bit more power to keep somebody locked up um because they would still pose a, a danger to the public so they couldn't do that either and the judge expressed a wish for her to be monitored during her custodial sentence which we knew would be inevitable and then also after her release which makes sense but that was challenged by the defense because technically it just wouldn't have been legal to do that she's a human being and not a danger to the public so why should they have a right to monitor her fully after? yeah you're either saying that she is and you need to monitor her or you're saying she's not and therefore let her go so yeah i get what they're saying with that So the judge, Mr Justice Saunders, had to give a fixed sentence and his hands were tied with those sort of legal minefield shit that was going on. So Sabina was sentenced to five years imprisonment, which I do actually think is a really short sentence for what she did. She she went down for manslaughter with diminished responsibility, which I get, but I think five years is a short sentence, isn't it? That's essentially two and a half years for good behaviour. It is, but uh, I, I we always find it really difficult with sentencing, don't we? Because people will be sentenced for such different things. Yeah, there's no point arguing. It feels it. short to me. But he's a judge. However, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and if as long as she's not in a psychotic episode again, would she behave like that? Because she'd got to yeah. what forty one or whatever without having a, from what we know, yeah. not having done Absolutely. anything until that point. So actually in the midst of a psychotic episode this has happened i i do kind of think that the manslaughter charge and then therefore the judge will have gone based on the law the sentence must be must be mm. fair and maybe it was it does feel rubbish to glenn though doesn't it it does it really does and maybe it was just a case that there weren't many instances of this where the judge could look at historic sentences that had been passed to get a bit of a benchmark And also, you have to look at it. Sabina was out of her mind at this time. So if if you accept that, you have to kind of accept that she wasn't in control of what she did. And maybe that could happen to any of us. And we're not killers. Um, And I suppose you have to be punished if you do kill someone. Of course you do. But if it wasn't your fault, how much punishment should you deserve? I don't know. Um, We're getting deep again. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. So in his sentencing remarks, the judge said Sabina's culpability for her actions was low, which is what we've just alluded to on the basis of that medical evidence. And he said, I understand that this sentence will seem entirely inadequate to the relatives of the deceased. However, I have sentenced on the basis that the reason for the killing was the mental illness and therefore the culpability of the defendant is low and therefore the sentence I have passed is designed to protect the public. 
It is not designed to reflect the grief the relatives have suffered or to measure the value of Mr Hollinshead's life. No sentence that I could pass could do that. It is a sentence which I hope fairly measures a truly tragic event. But, I mean, I don't know, it's just such a difficult one. I'm I'm still not sure. Um, I think that that's really fair, though, that they've said, you know, this is not designed to reflect the grief the relatives have suffered. Mm. It's not designed to measure his life, the value of his life. It is purely there based on what did she do and why. Yeah, and to protect the public. I think it's really good that the judge has said that. Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Um, Glenn's family were very, very understanding towards Sabina's mental ill health and they didn't actually blame her for Glenn's death. They blamed the authorities for letting her go free without a full psychiatric evaluation. And, you know, literally she was sentenced to one day in custody for assaulting a police officer and causing mayhem on a motorway, released with immediate effect because she'd already served that time over the weekend in custody. Um, And then she was able to go out and kill someone. And I think that's the real crime here, isn't it? Um, The fact that the authorities didn't provide her with the support that I feel she was entitled to on that Monday when she was at the magistrate's court pleading guilty to assaulting a police officer and motorway trespass. They shouldn't have just let her go free and put her out on the streets in Fenton. Um, I think, yeah, what did you expect was going to happen? Seriously? Yeah, and I think this is the thing. If you're now saying in court at the trial... She was still suffering from that psychotic episode at the time that she kills Glenn. She was still suffering that psychotic episode when she was in prison at that moment, yeah. like on remand for the court trial and everything. So, so she should have had the help that she needed at the time. Mm. And obviously, they're not psychic, but why were they not doing some sort of psychiatric evaluation based on her behaviour, which is very, very out of the ordinary? So. Why not? I I think the psychiatric evaluation that they did conduct consisted of just asking her a few questions like, are you suffering from a mental illness? Have you previously suffered from a mental illness? That was kind of it. And she did answer those questions, but they were satisfied with her response. But if you are suffering from a mental illness and in the middle of a psychotic episode and someone says, are you in the middle of a psychotic episode? You're not going to go, do you know what? Yeah, I am. I'm just doing this for fun. You're going to, you're just going to be like, no, and you're going to be paranoid of the police and thinking they're out to get you. So you'll say anything to just make them or think you're not even aware that you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or you're not aware absolutely. that you are as well. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, whenever I've suffered any kind of depression, I've rarely known until I'm sort of in the deep of it. So yeah, it would be, I'm sure, the same with this. So what, um, what became of Sabina and Ursula? Well, from what I've read online, it appears that they are still close and that both of them are now living in the US. But Um, I probably should add, that's just what I've seen amongst the thousands of comments that I've read about this case. So it might not be uh, actually what's happening. They might not be close. I might not be both living in America. But um, so many people online think that there is a lot more to this case. And I'm not going to go into all of the conspiracy theories or into any of them in any kind of detail. But there are a lot of people that believe that the two sisters were involved in something a lot deeper. People believe that they were part of some kind of drug-running empire and were actually being covertly monitored uh, by detectives at the time of this incident. And a a lot of people saying that's why Sabina had to be released immediately so that the detectives that were in charge of an operation that was monitoring her could continue to monitor her and she would then lead them to the big boys in in this drug-running empire. 
So whether that's true or not, who knows? But it is weird that she was released. I kind of feel like there's less of a conspiracy theory and more just incompetence with this. Yeah, that's true. Personally, it doesn't feel like... Why would you have them too as part of your covert Mm. operation as well? Yeah. It's weird. But then that's conspiracy theory. I love a conspiracy theory because they are always so outlandish. So yeah, fair enough if that's what people believe. Yeah, and there are some really weird conspiracy theories about this. So some saying that Sabina and Ursula were cyborgs, aliens, all sorts of weird shit. So if you want to take a deep dive down a rabbit hole, then by all means google this and have a look at all the different forums because there's so much chatter online about it even to this day Um, but i think it's almost like we're just trying to explain a crazy event with a crazy explanation but sometimes two crazies don't make a right um i don't know um this is a real head fuck of a case and we've we're done now so we finished so thank you for listening uh get in touch with us in all <laughs> bye guys yeah, bye <laughs> fuck off uh get in touch with us in all of the usual ways we're on facebook instagram and twitter you can also find a lot of our episodes on youtube with accompanying video and photos um of the case and also uh, don't forget to check us out on patreon you can find us at patreon.com slash seeing red podcast yeah, I think what I'll do is I'll put a poll up as well and I'll just be like, what do you think was going on? And Great idea. find some of the different different ideas around this yeah. and different theories. And we'll just see what, what do our listeners tend to think happened. We'll have a little look at that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, we'll do that on Facebook because we've got, we have got a new Facebook group, a relatively new Facebook group. So, um, I think we've got about 500 members in it. But yeah, if you, um, if you're not a member yeah. of that and you actually are still on Facebook, um, then please do hunt Come us and out. Join us. It's seeing read a true mm. crime discussion group or something like that. You'll find it. Uh, so look out for it. <laughs> seeing read a true crime, are you, no, seeing read a true crime podcast. Discussion. The discussion group. The dis- yeah, it's a really, su- something like that. Really succinct title. So you'll find it really easily. Oh, shut up, <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. Hopefully that's not left you scratching your heads and we will see you next week for something maybe less cray cray. Um, until then, bye. Bye. <laughs>